As I said, it's, it's, it's been a week, people. It's, it's, it's been a week. And anybody who uh, has not been under a rock will understand that uh, it's been a crazy week. And as I always say, uh, the world has their uh, communication platforms and they have their ways that they get out what they believe and how they think that we should think. And uh, this pulpit is the way that I believe that God gets out what he wants to say in the midst of everything that's going on. And so as I began to pray about this, the Lord brought me to Acts uh, to open it up. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. If you've never been here before, I uh, read from this book. This book is called the Bible. There will be scriptures that are posted on the screen. Um, If you thought that you were going to come in and, you know, you was going to get like a little fluff and it was going to be cool, wrong church. Um, We are going to dive into this word today because my opinion doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is this word. So uh, we got notebooks outside if you need to take notes. Let's get into it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, reading out of the New King James Version. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. All right. On that day, on the day that the disciples were there, uh, what they called the day of Pentecost, they were there because they were celebrating the festival of weeks. Okay. A festival of weeks was a part of the festivals that the men would come together and they would bring uh, a grain or seed or harvest from the things that they had planted. They were honoring God, uh, uh, saying, God, thank you for what, what, what has grown. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a portion of what was grown and we're going to take it we're going to bring it together and we're going to honor you with this so on the day that they were already celebrating what God had done in their life they were already there remembering what God had done the scripture says that they were all together in one accord one accord meaning that they were together in one heart in one mind They were together in one pursuit and one purpose. They were in unity even in their diversity. Well, Pastor Keenan, where where does the diversity come from? What do you mean? I'm glad you asked. I got you. Don't worry about it. Acts chapter 1, because most people just start with Acts chapter 2. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start at verse 12. It says, uh, then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet or Olive Grove, which is near Jerusalem. It's about a Sabbath day journey, uh, less than a mile away. When they entered the city, they went upstairs to the upper room where they were staying indefinitely. Uh, That is Peter, John, uh, his brother, James, and Andrew, uh, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew or Nathaniel, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, or Thaddeus, the son of James. All these, with one mind and one purpose, were continually devoting themselves together, and, excuse me, continually devoting themselves to prayer, waiting together, yeah. along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Okay, Pastor Keenan, where, where is this diversity? See, see, all of these people were together. These people grew up in different hoods, if you will. 
Some of them was from Elk Grove. Some of them was from Dunnigan. Some of them was from, 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 uh, 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 from Woodland. Some of them was from, from South Sac. These, they were all from different places. Peter was from uh, Bethsaida. James was from Palestine. Simon was from Cana. Thomas was from Israel. They grew up in different places. Which means if they grew up in different places, they had different ideals. They had different opinions. They had different thoughts about different things. Not only were these guys there, but it says also the women were there and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So not only them, then you got uh, Mary there. You got, you got uh, 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 the brothers there. All of these people have come together. They have put aside their ideals. They have put aside their opinions. They put aside uh, uh, where they were from, and they came together in unity. They were united in who Jesus was. They were united in what Jesus said. And they were united in what Jesus said they were going to do. Okay, we, 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 we're backing up again. We were in Acts 1.12. I want to go to uh, uh, verse 3. Because we need to find out what Jesus said and what Jesus said that they were going to do. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, To these men he also showed himself alive after his suffering in Gethsemane and on the cross. So Jesus has now risen. Okay? And he says he's shown himself to these people by a series of many infallible proofs and unquestionable demonstrations appearing to them over a period of 40 days and talking to them about the things concerning the kingdom of God while being together and eating with them. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised of which he said, you've heard me speak for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized and empowered and united with the Holy Spirit not long from now. So when they had come together, they asked him repeatedly, Lord, at this time, are you reestablishing the kingdom and restoring it to Israel? And he said, hey, hey, it's, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs on which the father has fixed by his own authority. But this is what he said. This is what he promised. He said, but you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he said, you will be my witnesses to tell people about me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. They were there. They were there. They were in agreement about who Jesus was. They were in agreement about what Jesus said. How do you know that? Because they were all there. Because Jesus told them to go and to be together and to pray. And they were in agreement about what Jesus said would happen. They were in in full expectation. And what I love is is, it said the disciples, uh, they returned there and they went upstairs to the room where they were staying indefinitely. They said, we're just going to be here to Jesus, to whatever Jesus says is going to happen. They, they, they had already made up in their mind they, that they believed it and they were acting about it. They were in faith. They were in preparation for Jesus, what Jesus said was going to happen. But this happened because they were in unity. They didn't argue about, well, did he say that? 
well, well what did he meant when what did he mean when he said this are, are you sure because because he said stay in Jerusalem did, did he really mean Jerusalem was he was he mean they they, they weren't be, they said no I, I I we are all in agreement we are of one heart we are of one mind listen listen they were in expectation and a miracle occurred as a result of them being unified. They devoted themselves to unity. Their diversity of belief, their diversity of economic status, their diversity of where they were from, all of that was set aside for the mission. All of that was set aside for the vision. And as a result, what was prophesied happened. As a result, miracles took place. God is free to perform miracles when we come together in unity. He's free to perform miracles when we come together in unity. And just as Jesus said, the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they began speaking in other tongues. And immediately following that, Peter begins preaching under the unction of the Holy Spirit. And we pick up and we see the first of many miracles in Acts chapter 2, uh, uh, verse 41. Verse 41, he says, so then... Those who accepted his message were baptized. And on that day, 3,000 souls were added to the body of believers. They were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instruction of the apostles and to fellowship and to eating meals together and to prayer. A sense of awe was felt by everyone and many wonders and signs attesting miracles were taking place through the apostles. Why did that happen? It happened because they came together in unity. They were unified. They were of one mind. Why does this matter? Why is this important right now? Why, why, why is unity uh, uh, such a big deal? Uh, uh, it matters because if we want to fulfill the mission that God has given us, then the only way it will happen is if we move in unity. Yeah. The only way that it will happen is if we move in unity in the midst of our diversity. This is what university is. I am privileged. I am honored to serve in a very diverse church. We got everybody in here. Everybody. We got all colors and hues. We have generations uh, spanning the galaxy. We got them all here. Everybody's here. And I'm honored and privileged that we have a body that celebrates that and we honor that. But let me tell you something, God doesn't do anything by accident. I believe that it is very purposeful, the reason that he has us here. I was here last week and, and uh, we were outside eating. Uh, if you weren't here, you missed that. Uh, but we were outside eating and um, um, I spoke to a young lady and, and she says, she was talking to me about our church and she's like, you know, I really, I, I love this church. And she says, this, she says, I've heard of multicultural churches, but I've never actually seen one. She said, usually 
when uh, uh, somebody says that they have a diverse church, that means that they have, you know, one person of, of another ethnicity. And usually that person is on the stage and they say, look, we have a multicultural church. But she said, it's amazing that you, you actually have that. God has done uh, this, I believe, with purpose. This city is divided. Our country right now is divided. This world is divided. But the one place that division cannot be is in the house of God. The one place where division cannot be tolerated is in the church, whether that's the big C, the body of Christ, or the little C, which is limitless church. Please know this and hear this very clearly. There is no place for division here at Limitless Church. We will not stand by and allow division to have a stronghold in this house or in this city. We will not stand idly by while people try to divide us. We will be the hands and feet of Jesus and bring people together. This is what God has called us to do. When we take our eyes off of the mission that God has given us, when we take our eyes off of what he has told us to do, to go out, to tell people about his good news, to love people, to, to love those who are hurting. When we take our eyes off of the mission, that's where we get in trouble. Because we take our eyes off of the mission and then we start looking at one another. Started looking at what, what you're doing and what you said and what, how you're dressing and what, what you believe and how you feel and your opinion. And that's where it gets hairy. That's where the enemy uses that, that foothold in the door to allow division to creep into the house of God. Please know that division is offensive to God. Division is offensive to God. I know this may not be public knowledge, but uh, contrary to popular belief, our duty to other believers isn't to critique them. It's to love them. Don't move and we won't know it's you. Limitless. We We have to get to the point. We have to get to this place where we stop giving attention to the insignificance of our differences and start giving attention to the significance of our unity. That's what diversity, that's what university is all about. I'm not, it, we, we've been takes for so long, we've been majoring on minors and we've been letting those minors divide us. Secondary things that don't matter. And we're not talking to people. We, we leave in places. We, we, we're not going the direction be, uh, so we don't got to see them because we're, we're on small stuff. Small stuff. Well, that's small to you, Pastor. No, it's actually small to Jesus. We have to stop majoring on the minors and letting uh, 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 this, this diversity slip in. Philippians chapter, let me get back to this book. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul is here. He's talking to the Philippian church and he says this. He says, only be sure to lead your lives in a manner that will be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He said, lead your lives in a way that is worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus. 
Lead your life in that way. So he said, so whether I come and see you or, or I can't get there, I will hear that you are standing firm in what? In one spirit and yeah. one purpose yeah. with one mind striving side by side as if in combat for the faith of the gospel. He said, he said, whether I get there or not, I know that I'm going to hear that you are there side by side. You're battling with those who are around you for the faith of the gospel. And, and he says, listen, and in no way be alarmed or intimidated in anything by your opponents for such constancy and fearlessness on your part is a clear sign, a proof or seal for them of their destruction. And it's a clear sign for you of your deliverance and salvation. And that too is from God. Uh, uh, he says, I love this part. He says, he says uh, for such constancy or, or consistency or your faithfulness. Constancy is described as faithfulness. Paul, Paul is in this letter and he's, he's talking to the churches that he's planting and he's urged them to continue and strive for unity because he understood the weight that unity holds and how their divisiveness, how their divisiveness could destroy the very message of salvation that they had been sent to preach. Your faithfulness to unity, he says. He says, your constancy, your faithfulness to unity and your fearlessness is a sign to the world of their destruction and it's a clear sign to you of your salvation. Unity was a consistent theme. If you, if you read Philippians, if you read Paul's books, he constantly talks about the idea of unity. The problem that we face today is that for too long, we have uh, favored our ideology and our opinion over obedience to God's word. We're, we want to we want to be on a side. We want to we want to uh, uh, prioritize our our, par, our party or or our policies. We want to uh, prioritize our, our principles instead of prioritizing people. And as a result, we've accepted division as a necessary uh, 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 as a necessary evil, just so we can be right. Just so we can be right. It doesn't matter uh, 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 how you feel. It doesn't matter if we're friends. I'm going to argue you down and say whatever I need to because at the end of it, I'm going to be right. And we've prioritized that over people. Jesus came. They asked him many divisive questions. You know, what do, what do you say about this guy? You know, we got the money and, the, and his face is on him. Who do we, you know? Uh, and he's like, no. I'm here for the people. I'm here for people. This, this idea, uh, it's, it's, it's anti-Bible. It is completely anti-Bible. It is the opposite of what Paul preached, and it is the opposite of what Jesus wanted for us. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29. Because y'all don't believe me. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, And never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth. Should I just stop right there? No, I'm going to keep going. All right. 
never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. He says, so never grieve the Spirit of God or take for granted his holy influence in your life. Lay aside bitter words. Lay aside temper tantrums. Lay aside revenge. Lay aside profanity. Lay aside insults. But instead, be kind and affectionate towards one another. And then he asks this question. Has God graciously forgiven you? He says, then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's love. Pastor, you don't understand what they said. and How could they uh, agree with this? How could they vote this way? How could they support this person? I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about what God has told us to do. I'm going to mind my business, and I'm going to stay out of their business, and I'm just going to hear and do what God told me to do. Because for far too long, what we've done is, is, is we focused on the wrong thing. And that wrong thing causes us to, to lend our opinion, and, and our opinion is getting us in trouble. And, and now we, we've gotten to a place, and he, that's not what he told us to do. This, this idea of unity was a big deal. Jesus prays in John chapter 17. We don't hear many of, 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 of the prayers of Jesus. Jesus was praying a lot. And, and they didn't scribe out all of his prayers. But John chapter 17, we hear, verse 20, he says, and I don't pray for these alone. He says, it's not for their sake that I make this request. He said, but also for all those who will ever believe and trust in me through their message. What, you, what, what, what is it, Jesus? You're saying it's not for them, it's for everybody. What, what's for everybody? What, why are you praying for everybody? Why are you praying for all those that ever will believe? He says that they all may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you that they may also be one in us. Why does it matter? Why does unity matter? Why does this idea of university matter, Jesus? Why, why are you praying for them? Why, are you, why, why is it a big deal that they be one? He says, so that the world may believe without any doubt that you sent me. Yeah. That they would believe that you sent me. Jesus knew that unity would cross socioeconomic lines. He knew that it would cross racial lines, that it would cross political lines, that it would cross language barriers and preferences. Unity is not agreement on your opinion. Unity in the body is submission to the scripture and the call of God. That's what unity is. That's what this idea of being unified in the midst of our diversity is. So what is our response? What is our response in a world that encourages division? 
and a body that's constantly fighting to keep division out. What do we do? How do we walk this out? How do we have this idea of university? The first thing we need to do is we have to examine ourselves. We have to examine ourselves. Not nobody else, not what they're doing, not what they said. We need to look at ourselves. We must constantly evaluate our own hearts. Has those seeds, ask yourself that question. Have these seeds of division. Have these seeds of pride. Have these seeds of unforgiveness been allowed to take root in my heart. We have to evaluate ourselves. What happens is when we're constantly examining, when we're constantly looking at our own heart, when we're constantly uh, uh, recognizing how much the Lord is constantly doing in our own life, when we realize how messed up we are, when we realize how much we need the grace of God, it allows us to be more patient and more graceful in light of other people. Because the only time that you recognize that you're impatient and, and, and that you, you feel in some type of way is when you've forgotten how much you've needed grace. When you've forgotten how much you needed forgiveness. How many times you've gone back, Lord, it's, it's me again. I know I said I wouldn't be here, but here I, yes, Lord, I know it's time 9,576, but this time, God. But this time, this is the time, God. When we remember how he said, even in those moments, that I've already forgiven you, that I love you, and that my grace is sufficient. When we come in contact with somebody that we disagree with, that we would extend that same grace. That we would extend that same patience. Why? Because that's what unity is all about. I'm not looking for a place to be divisive. I'm looking for a place to be unified. We must examine ourselves. Grace sees more value in unity in the body than pointing out someone else's wrongs. That's what grace does. I love this psalm. David is here in Psalms 139, uh, verse 23 through 24. 139, 23 to 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. He says, Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Some of us don't want to pray that prayer. We, they're, they're just not going to pray it. Just not, nope, not going to do it. Why? Because when we ask God to search us, when we ask God to know my heart, when we ask God to test me and know my, and we anxious about everything, test me and know my anxious thoughts, point out anything in me that offends you, you better know that he's going to answer that prayer. And it's so quick that as soon as you say, he's like, I'm glad you asked. Here you go, right here. But Paul, David is here. He's saying, please, Jesus, I need you to do that to me because I need to examine myself. It's easy for me to be offended at other people and not like how they've been acting and not like how they've been talking, not like how they've been treating me, but examine me, Jesus. There's anything in me that offends you, show it to me. We have to examine ourselves. The second thing we have to do after we examine ourselves right here is we have to practice humility. 
we have to practice humility. Usually pride is always at the center of division. Whether consciously or unconsciously, we have to uh, 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 know that this, this, this idea, this concept that's pushed, this, this way that we are that says, I know everything, that I'm better than you and, and I'm always right, that thing has to die. It is arrogant. And there is a serious disconnect between the scriptures and the life of an arrogant person. We are called to practice humility. Uh, Newsflash, no one has 100% correct theology. No one has the corner market on the knowledge of God. Nobody around, y'all see somebody walking on clouds? Because I haven't. No one has the corner market on the knowledge of God. We are all daily learning. And we will not come into a full understanding until we get to heaven. This is why humility is imperative. Because in your surety, in your knowing, in your knowledge, in your degrees, in your wisdom, in your study, and now you can still be just as wrong. You can be wrong as wrong is wrong. This is why humility is important. Isaiah 55, 8, he says, uh, uh, the Lord says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. First Corinthians, Paul says uh, uh, in verse uh, chapter 13, he says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. And the Amplifier says, for our knowledge is fragmentary and incomplete. (laughs) Let me tell you something. If we approached our ideals our opinions with the understanding that no matter how much we study, no matter how much we learn, no matter how much we YouTube or Google, that our knowledge is fragmentary and incomplete, we would hold our opinions and our stances a lot loosely. We would hold them a lot loosely. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, and he gives grace generally as the, uh, generously as the scripture says, God opposes the proud. The King James says he resists the proud. The Amplified says he is actively against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. Why does that matter? Why, why, why? Because uh, the proud person is the one who says, I don't need God. I can handle this on my own. The person that is prideful says, no, God, I I think I can take it from here. I I got it together. I know everything. I, I have enough knowledge. I think I got it here. The humble person is smart enough to realize that he don't know nothing. And he says, I give grace generously to those who are humble. We all have an incomplete, flawed knowledge of God. And without humility, we can never move towards unity. It is important that we examine ourselves, that we practice humility, and lastly, that we actively fight for university. Unity will never happen without a fight. The enemy loves division. 
And so the world loves division. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourself together with peace. Make every effort to keep yourself united. Make every effort. When opportunities for divisions arise, instead of taking the bait that the enemy constantly throws for you not to like your brother or your sister, how about you use it as a catalyst to fight for unity? When the enemy throws these uh, ways that you can be divisive, use it as an opportunity to fight for unity. Make a decisive decision that no matter what tries to divide us, we will be unified. We have to make a decisive, it doesn't matter what they say, it doesn't matter what their opinion is, it doesn't matter how they feel, how they vote, what they think, what they wear, what they look like. We actively fight for unity. In those things that we don't know, we have conversations so that we can gain understanding, so that we can maintain unity. In those who we don't know, we engage them so that we can gain understanding, so that we can maintain unity. Whether it's people or policies, ideals or opinions, our goal shouldn't always be just to be right. Our goal shouldn't always be to be right in the eyes of other people. Our goal should be to be unified so that God can be glorified so that miracles can happen. I don't know about you, but I desire to see miracles happen in our church. I desire to see miracles happen in our community. I desire to see miracles happen in our city. But it only happens when we move together in unity. Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 says this. Blessed, spiritually calm with life, joy, and God's favors are the makers and the maintainers of peace. For they will express his character and they will be called the sons or the children of God. Jesus says here that the way that people will know who the children of God are, the way that people will know who the sons and the daughters of God are, is not by our bickering. It's not by our differences or our ability to be right. It's not by our ability to become the new Pharisees and Sadducees. He says those that will be called the children of God will be those who make and maintain peace. And that key to peace is found in our unity. Unity even in diversity. So what? We may look different. We may cook different. Unity 
our opinions may differ. Unity. We may worship a little different. I might like to move a little more than you like. I might shout a little bit when they... Unity. Focus on the, the mission, the vision, the, the, the great commission that God has given us. He says, this is what I want for you. Jesus says, I'm praying that you would be one. One body, one mind, one accord. When that happens, Limitless Church, when that happens, Woodland, California will see miracles. People will come to know Jesus like never before because it's dark out there. Confusion is running rampant. People are looking for hope more now than ever before. Will they find it in the house of God? My prayer is that anytime they walk into Limitless Church, anytime they come in contact with the people of this church, that they will see people who love them, that they will see people who aren't looking for ways to be divisive, who aren't looking for ways that we can disagree, that we are anxious, that we are searching, that we are, are, are desiring. How can we be one? How can we be unified? It will take the grace of God like never before. But it is possible because he said it. We unify on who Jesus was, on what Jesus said, and what he said that we would do. Unity, even in our diversity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've spoken to your people today.